Hey, are you here? Yeah, it's time for the Paul Leslie Hour. Oh, we are really pleased to bring this to you. It's an interview with Scott Atwell, author of the book, Buffett Backstories. Scott Atwell's book tells the backstories of Jimmy Buffett's songs. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Paul Leslie's YouTube channel and like the Paul Leslie Hour on Facebook. Uh-huh. Thank you. Debuting Christmas 2023. Let's hear from Scott Atwell. Well, Scott Atwell, it's, it's so good to be joined by you. Uh, on this episode and tell us where are you where are you joining us from at the moment i'm in the space coast of florida melbourne florida where we moved a couple months ago um after uh four years of returning to key west and uh my day job is working uh for the uh, florida keys national marine sanctuary as communications manager i'm going to continue doing that so i've got my home office here in Melbourne, and I uh, brought a lot of uh, Key West with me, including uh, over my shoulder is a picture of my grandfather, Albert Andrew Atwell, who was a charter boat captain. Uh, that picture was taken in the 1940s down at the Key West fight. And you were born and raised in Key West. What kind of an influence did that have on your life? I'd say an appreciation for people and, and places uh, and and how you leverage friends and re- and those relationships to help you when you need it most. Um, Key West was a very small community. We were very proud about baseball and uh, growing up around the ball fields. And a little 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 known fact: that Key West actually has the state record for the most high school baseball championships in the state of Florida. My father played on two of those in the 1950s. And so we rallied around sports um, and each other and uh, a great camaraderie that, that lasts day. And one of the reasons that we were brought together, or I guess I should say the main reason, is you are the author of this book, Buffett Backstories, 50 Years, 50 Songs, by you, Scott Atwell. Uh, Tell us, when did you first become aware of this singer-songwriter, Jimmy Buffett? Well, Jimmy moved to Key West or came to Key West for the first time, and that's a picture of him, if you could see it, uh, just as he was. uh, Maybe I'll just tweet this here. There he is. Mm. That's uh, in November of 1971 at Jerry Jeff Walker's house in uh in south miami and coconut grove and um so shortly after that uh, is when jimmy came to the keys i was 10 11 something like that and when his first album started coming out after 1973 i heard about this guy who was singing about my hometown and as i mentioned being uh fiercely proud of key west naturally i was going to gravitate to him as an artist and started at that point and and never let go And so that's when I became aware of it and never ran into him in Key West. It wasn't I I didn't meet him until I was in Tallahassee, Florida, which I spent a good portion of my life professionally uh, after college. And uh, but we we were certainly walking the same streets at the same time uh, in Key West in the 1970s. Was there something about his music or his songwriting that captured you? Well, it, that it was authentic. 
right? That it was real. Uh, not long ago, someone posted on a Florida Keys travel page that they were coming to the Keys for the first time and they wanted to visit Kokomo. Where can I find Kokomo? Which, of course, <laughs> is the Beach Boys fantasy place, right? There is no Kokomo, right? But everything Jimmy Buffett was singing about was real. And, and the authenticity, I think, is what has drawn me, what drew me to him originally, because he was talking about places I, you know, were right down the street. And he continued to sing about these authentic places. And vicariously, I could go with him. We all could go with him. And I think mm-hmm. that was the key to the magic of, of Jimmy Buffett, um, that it, it was a lived experience for him. And then we could live it vicariously, maybe even one day visit on our own. And that really was the key to him becoming a lifestyle artist, which helped him create a lifestyle brand, which helped him become a billionaire. Mm, Interesting stuff. So what was the spark that created the flame that became this book? What got this thing going? Well, I returned to Key West after uh, many years being away in 2019, and uh, I ran into a guy who had just purchased a radio station. And I said, hey, what do you think about me coming on and doing two hours of Jimmy Buffett on a Saturday or Sunday? And of course, I mean, I I was volunteering using my own CDs. It wasn't going to cost him anything. Why wouldn't he want to do that? Uh, So uh, I started in 2002. 20, maybe late 20, uh, coming on every Sunday and doing two hours of Jimmy Buffett. I was going to be listening to Jimmy Buffett on a Sunday anyway. But mm-hmm. listening and presenting Jimmy Buffett are two different things because as you have you know, announce the songs, when you take breaks, three or four songs a uh, piece, you have to describe what it is that people are listening to. And it's very natural when it comes to Jimmy Buffett to want to talk about the origins of that song, right? Because as I mentioned, they are authentic. And so there are backstories. And so I would each week uh, elevate one of, of the songs as a Buffett backstory and do the research on it. And sometimes had to interview people along the way and uh, realize that what I was doing was collecting chapters of a book along the way and then decided to put them in a book. Uh, 50 of the songs for the 50th anniversary of him arriving in Key West. So that would have been 2021. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, the, the price of the book is $19 and 71 cents because it was 1971 when he came to Key West. And so that's how it happened. Uh, sort of, sort of by accident, the book did uh, because I was doing this radio show that just naturally begged for these stories to be revealed. And I've continued to do it, even though I stopped doing the radio show, I've I've continued now to add chapters, whether it's in the the physical book or my Facebook pages, which I've been enjoying uh, doing with this latest album, uh, Equal Straight on All Parts. And I want to call to the attention of everybody out there, whether you're watching this on Facebook Watch or on YouTube, check out on YouTube, it's called Scott Atwell's Buffett Backstories, subscribe. And then on Facebook, it's Buffett Backstories. That's the page. You can like that page. And it's a continuing story, which is very interesting. You're keeping the stories alive, which is a a great thing to do. Well, because 
I continue to be interested. It's all about this natural curiosity. You know, my, 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 I don't know why I have this natural curiosity, but it certainly came in handy when I got into television broadcasting, which is my first career. And, uh, I've always had this, this, you know, natural sense to ask the question why. And, uh, so the new album comes out and there's a lot of questions to ask, you know, the interesting thing, uh, Paul, and, and I'm a little embarrassed to say this, uh, the, the things that I don't know, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little ignorant sometimes. So this new album comes out. Let me just take one song, Johnny's Rum, okay? Okay. which is one of my favorites. And I had never heard in my life of Johnny Holiday before right. this album. I had never heard of Lenny Gallant, who was a co-writer. I had never heard of JoJo's Hamburgers in St. Bart's or Laurent Cemetery or De Pa Rum. <laughs> so... So the song is begging for some context, and uh, Jimmy has left it out there for us to, to find out if we want to. And so I started doing the research, got a hold of Lenny Gallant, and, uh, and told the backstory of, of Johnny's Rum. And what I realized in doing this is that Jimmy has been doing this his entire career, right? He's been visiting places, meeting people, and sharing that experience with us. For us to come along with him. So he has enriched my life simply by me trying to understand better what he is singing about. And the same thing with uh, Tea Punch Cafe. Uh, I, again, I'm embarrassed to say I have never heard of Angelique uh, Kidjo until that song. Uh, or Kassav, which was a band that Jimmy was familiar with. Or uh, Banky Banks. Uh, so I learn something every time a song comes out and I just naturally want to know more about it. And once it gets in my brain, I have to put it out in some some form. And it just so happens it was the written form in this case. But, you know, Scott, you, there's so many people that are right there along with you. And that's one of the rewarding things about Jimmy Buffett is that there's no shortage of things to wonder about. We don't have to stop wondering. I mean, there's just all these, you know, you, you can go down all these different trails and uh, be, continue to be fascinated with the fascinating. So that's great. Now, Scott, was there anything that you learned that was kind of a surprise as a result of writing Buffett backstories that you thought, wow, I, I'm sure there were a lot of things you didn't know. Yeah, hold it up there. <laughs> Yeah, because yours is a little you got the blurred background. So that's what the it looks like now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So was there anything that you that you learned that you thought, wow, that's really fascinating and who who knew? Well, I think we knew it, but I, I quantified it, and that is that he was so collaborative. I don't think I realized the extent to which he was collaborative. Because when we think of Jimmy Buffett, we're thinking he's writing these songs, you know, he's on his sailboat, he's sailing down, which he did you know, early on, and he would keep the notes and, and write the stories uh, himself. But as time went on, he became a very collaborative artist. And so I, I actually did the math. I went down and checked off every song he's ever recorded and put them into one of three categories. He wrote it himself, he covered it, or he collaborated with someone on it. And over 50% of the songs are, are songs that are, are collaborative in nature. And I think that's what surprised me once I once I really saw it numerically and quantitatively and and then qualitatively talking to the people who worked with him. You know, Will Kimbrough speaking to him uh, for uh, Bubbles Up, which is the the new chapter in the book that I've added since Jimmy's uh, passing and and the new album. 
uh, has has a remarkable collaborative nature with Jimmy, and, and a lot of it was done at a distance, which was which interesting to to learn about and how they collaborated. But this is why I think Jimmy is so beloved by his colleagues in the music industry because he was so giving uh, in in working with them. They love him just as the Parrotheads love him because he was so collaborative and sharing and. And that was probably something I didn't really know until I did the math. Now, the book, it has 50 songs, the backstories of, of each of them. 51 now. 51. 51 in the new edition. The book's on the way to you. <laughs> well, thank you, Scott. Now, I want you to think. Of all of those songs that you wrote about, don't tell us what it is yet. Is there one song that you particularly love? You especially love this song that Buffett recorded or, or wrote. Do you have that it? story or the song? The song itself. Tell me when you have it the, in your mind. The song itself. Oh, that's a tough one because I always it just depends what mood I'm in. Right. You know, sometimes I want the irreverent song. Sometimes I want the contemplative song. Sometimes I want just the, the, the beer drinking song. Um, okay. You I got it? I got okay. It. Now, now, Scott, would you like to sing a line from that song for all the people out there? <laughs> oh, uh, let's see if I can. You don't have to. You could recite a line from it if you want. Um, now you put me on the spot, and I'm, I'm a little uh, – I'd have to probably look it up. The, the song is Death of an Unpopular Pope. You know what? I don't know what it was. I knew you were going to say that. Really? I did. I said he's going to say Death of an Unpopular Poet. Why, why do you think? Well, it's just such a brilliant song, and for for somebody who likes – that very, very beginning era, like maybe I was kind of like tipped off by the, the picture of Jimmy on the Packard back there. Uh, when I think of that picture, which was, I think, before even Death of an Unpopular Poet, but I think somebody who knows about that picture and likes that picture probably likes Death of an Unpopular Poet. Right after I asked it, I thought he's going to say Death of an Unpopular Poet. <laughs> I swear that's what I Go thought. Ahead. Go play the South Carolina lottery, okay, this week because you're going to win it. <laughs> um, yeah, that picture actually um, is tied intrinsically to Death of an Unpopular Pope because it's at Jerry Jeff Walker's house in Coconut Grove. And that's where uh, Jimmy picked up a book uh, of Kenneth Patchen poems that inspired um, the song. Uh, and it wasn't until many years later that he actually wrote the song, Kenneth Patchen Passed Away. And it was hearing the new, hearing that news on Walter Cronkite's broadcast on CBS that surprised Jimmy that uh, a semi-obscure poet would have risen to that level of uh, of media attention upon his death, mm. and that's that's what got the the wheels turning. You know, during the pandemic, uh, Mick Utley and his wife, Mac McNally's daughter, who are, are married, did a, uh, a, a video series called At Home with the Coral Reefers. And they finally got around to interviewing Jimmy last and sort of buried in that interview. I say buried because no one really picked up on it. 
uh, a lot, but they asked Jimmy his favorite song. He picked two, and one of them was Death of an Unpopular Poet. The other one was 12 Volt Man. Hmm. Yeah, and, and two great songs there. Now, such an important part of the story of Buffett, and so much of it is, is in the book here, uh, the fascinating characters, not just Buffett, but all these people that he wrote about and all the people that he encountered. And I'm curious, as a result of writing this book, both in the process of writing it and also the aftermath after having it published, has there been somebody that you've encountered that was an especially fascinating and especially interesting person that grabbed you? Well, I'd have to say, you know, speaking with Mishka Frith, who was the inspiration for the song Chanson pour les petites enfants and how how all that transpired in his life that he would become this reggae singer uh, on Jimmy Buffett's Mailboat Records label. Uh, but speaking with him and understanding the origins of that song, there's just a great story there. Uh, you know, young Mr. Moon flew away in the night with his best friend Magnus right by his side. And I get to find out who Magnus is. You know, it's it's Mishka's best buddy down there as they're living on the boats in St. Bart's. And, and Magnus's dad was the, the guy who built all the boats. And all these people came from Bermuda uh, on these boats that were named after constellations. I mean, that's just a remarkable story and how Jimmy turned it into song and how Mishka Frith ended up who he is today, right? Uh, that was a fun one. Uh, the, the Finally getting hold of Don Rollins to talk about it's five o'clock somewhere was an interesting one to me. Uh, and I found Don Rollins to be an interesting character. Um, uh, he, there were two co-writers to Five O'Clock Somewhere, Moose Brown and Don Rollins. And uh, researching it for my radio show, um, I read a, an article about uh, the writer asked Don Rollins, where did you come up with the phrases Five O'Clock Somewhere? And he said, well, it was from a, a, a colleague of mine at the high school I was teaching at, at at three o'clock every day when school got out, you know, he'd say, well, let's go get a beer. It's five o'clock somewhere. And they just left it at that. And my head wanted to explode because I said, wait a second, <laughs> you're burying the lead here. That's it. You're going to leave us with that. Well, who is that guy? Huh. I mean, that's the guy who's changed the American vernacular and you're just going to leave it there. You know, I want to know who is that guy? So I began trying to get a hold of Don Rollins calling everywhere crickets and i don't know how many weeks go by i forget about it one day my phone rings it's don rollins <laughs> and and so um you know i'm able to find out who this guy is and uh it turned out to be one of his uh, fellow teachers and uh he, he talked to me about how they went back and forth and and had fun once the songs became number one and um and and Jim Blackshear wanted his his uh, his uh, check in the mail, you know, for his uh, participation. And so the next step, of course, was I need to talk to Jim Blackshear. I need to know who this guy is. He had died five years earlier. Mm. And and uh, so I looked up his uh, his obituary and uh, believe it or not, nothing mentioned in the obituary about five o'clock somewhere. If that guy had trademarked it, his family would be millionaires today. <laughs> Yeah, you you have an extremely inquiring mind, which I guess 
uh, I kind of have that same thing where it's, you know, I hear about what a lot of people would maybe think of as the footnote. And I think, like you said, no, that's the lead. That's the that's the main right. story. <laughs> right. Now, exactly. did you at all attempt to when you were putting the book together, did you attempt to make it in any way official? Did you reach out to Buffett's management? Did you have any interactions with them? You know, I didn't. Uh, I spoke to Ryan White, who, of course, uh, wrote Good Life All the Way, which is the the, the, the Bible of Jimmy Buffett. And, uh, you know, he never spoke to Jimmy himself. Uh, I think he may have tried to make it official. Uh, Buffett's people uh, were sort of hands off, let him do whatever he wanted to do. But there was never an official connection made. So that, you know, made me believe that that I probably wasn't going to uh, be able to connect with him either. Uh, my only hope was that I didn't, you know, piss anybody off by doing the book. That's the last thing I wanted. And I think I've uh, come to, to understand that the people in the universe at least have some some sense of appreciation for what's been done. The truth is, I wish Jimmy would have written the book, right? That would have solved everything um, because there, there would be no gaps in information. Uh, but he didn't, and I needed to get it out of my brain once once I started collecting the stories. It was simple as that. I just needed to get it out in another form, and that's how the book came about. What does Jimmy Buffett mean to you? Wow, you know, I met him only once, but I feel like he's a friend. I, I truly feel like he's someone who has allowed me to come along with him uh, through his remarkable life. Uh, simply by singing these songs, or writing books, and and almost feeling as if I'm there with him, and mm. and I've been able to discover things I would never have known before, visited places I wouldn't have visited before, even if vicariously, and um, and I to some degree, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, I think he's still here, you know, mm. um, and in fact the the updated. Uh, the updated book, I really had to contemplate after his passing, should I go through and change all the verbs to past tense? And I made a conscious decision not to uh, and, and wrote about it right on the, the first page by saying one of the greatest gifts left by an artist is the capacity for his or her works to live on in their absence. Jimmy Buffett is, not was. That's how I feel about it. Wow, that's, that's so, that's so uh, well put. Very good, Scott. So what have you been working on now? What's what's the aside from this continuing storytelling? What is on the horizons for Scott Atwell? Well, you know, I've been working um, for the last year on a, a, a screenplay project about another Key West character who was famous in the 1970s. Uh, and he has a very strange name. His name is Bum Farto. Joseph Bumfarto was our fire chief. And uh, in the 1970s, I mentioned how Key West went through a hard time financially when the Navy base left. And that's when the drug culture started to take over. People started participating in running marijuana out of necessity because they, they had no other source of income. And it became so prevalent that even the city fire chief and the city manager uh, got involved and they were arrested in 1977. 
And uh, the fire chief, Bonforto, was convicted. And then while he was out on bail awaiting sentencing, he disappeared. And no one ever heard of him again. And so there are T-shirts for sale in Key West that, that say, where, where is Bumfarto? It's a famous line in Key West. And so uh, my screenplay is about those exploits in the 1970s of uh, the drug culture in Key West in the 70s. And whatever happened to Bumfarto? And it could go one of two ways. Either he was taken out because he knew too much or uh, he, he turned evidence and the feds sent him down to Costa Rica. Um, so that's what I'm working on. And, and, you know, hopefully one day it could wind up on a Netflix a screen near you. <laughs> <laughs> Key West is just full of fascinating characters, isn't it? Oh, it, it I'd say it, it was. Uh, yeah, at least, you know, today it's just a caricature of itself. But back in the 70s, those characters, they were real people. And uh, it was a fascinating time to be there. I used to hound Bonfarto because he was so flamboyant. He believed in uh, in, in the occult. And so he dressed every in red. Everything he wore was red, rose tinted uh, glasses. And uh, he uh, he was just a flamboyant character who. For a teenager like me, I was just mesmerized and used to just be all around him when he was at baseball games. And so I look forward to telling this story, even though I don't know exactly what happened. There's theories, but we don't know for sure. I hope that this uh, does make it to Netflix or, or wherever, because what an irresistible story. Key West <laughs> in the 1970s. It was right. a special place, special place. Now, one of my favorite things to ask about, did you have, when you were living there in Key West and when he was alive, did you know Captain Tony Terracino? Uh, I was in school with one of his daughters. His, uh, his daughter, Tony, T-O-N-I, was uh, uh, in the same class as me. I can remember being in elementary school at Poinciana Elementary School with her. And, uh, and then there's another daughter, Alicia. Uh, now, or who I mentioned in the book, uh, who I'm friends with, but I don't know if I ever actually met Captain Tony. Um, he, th when he became mayor, he actually beat the incumbent mayor by the name of Tom Sawyer, who was my cousin. Uh, Tom's mother was an Atwell, so he and uh, his mother and my father, they were um, half sister, half brother, um, same dad, different mother. Um, but I never met Captain Tony to my knowledge. I, it's possible, but I just don't remember. What is the what is the best thing about being Scott Atwell? <sighs> you know, I think being curious, just like we talked about today. I think having a curious mind is uh, is helpful in so many ways. And um, I feel blessed that I wish I would have been more curious as a kid. I was pretty as a kid growing up in Key West, I was pretty much focused on sports and I was fo <laughs> focused on girls and maybe a little bit of the water. You know, that was it. No, I didn't let too much else in my brain. But today, uh, I think I really appreciate curiosity and the, the roads that the, that leads me down and and to enrich, you know, my life. Uh, but uh, certainly I would say that you know, since I'm wearing this hat, uh, the best part is being from Key West. It, Key West is my alpha. It'll be my omega. When I'm dead, I'm going to be buried in the Atwell plot there. 
and my kids can come visit on vacation. Uh, so being from Key West was a pretty special part about being Scott Atwell as well. Well, I always like to end my interviews. I like to just give the guest the floor. It's amazing to me how many people I've gotten to meet through this whole world of Jimmy Buffett. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. And we just never know who's watching or listening. So what would you like to say to anybody who is tuned in with us? I want them to know the role that you played in, in this book. And, and my thanks to you, because you did a lot of the groundwork in the interviews that, that made it easy for me to start the research process, right? So I could uh, look up various episodes to answer those questions for my radio show. And uh, that really got the ball rolling. And truthfully, you know, if if that material wasn't there, I'm not sure that I would have had enough uh, to to answer these questions that, that I had. So my thanks to you. I think that uh, the work that you have done now in the 970s is going to be something for the historical record. It's going to be important for people down the road. I got lucky enough, you know, when Jimmy's uh, Margaritaville was inducted into the Library of Congress earlier this year, I I was asked to write the story to go along with it. Apparently, that's something they do. And when I first got the email, I thought I was being punked. I thought, you know, something's messing with me here. <laughs> Atwell's going to be in the Library of Congress, you know. Uh, so I'm in that official record. And I think the work that you're doing is going to be on the, in the official record for all time and, and be very helpful, not just for the entertainment value, but for the historical record uh, uh, in years to come. So thank you. That's what I'd like the audience to know. Well, Scott, that's just incredibly kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. And your support, uh, it really, if, th through the time I've known you, it's, it's very much filled my heart up a, a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. All, all the words and your kindness is very appreciated. Well, thank you. I, I mean every word of it. Well, Scott, there's one more question. I thought since this is debuting on Christmas Day, and perhaps coincidentally, I don't know, Jimmy Buffett's birthday was, is December 25th. I thought, what if Scott said Jimmy did two Christmas albums and there were some great re recordings, everything from Meili Kalikimaka to his own songs. What Christmas song should everybody once this interview finishes, what Christmas song should everybody go out and listen to? Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Alabama. It is the song that came out a year after my youngest daughter was born. And I can remember putting the album on on Christmas Day. She's probably two, three years old, picking her up in my arms and dancing with her. To Merry Christmas, Alabama. There's something about that song that just strikes me on Christmas morning, how tender it is. Uh, that is a, is a Christmas memory I'll, I'll never forget. And I want you to know that I am lobbying. My daughter is now 25. I'm lobbying that that is the father-daughter dance when she gets married. Which, which could be kind of odd if it's the middle of the summer. <laughs> but it might need some explaining. But I would love for that to be the father-daughter dance that would remind me 
of those Christmas mornings of picking her up and dancing to that song. So Merry Christmas, Alabama. Put it on. Enjoy it. It is a wonderful song. And very, very quickly, I don't want to keep everybody from playing that song. I'm going to give a little Buffett backstory on that song. So I got to hear the demo of that song that Matt Benton recorded. And that song was originally written. It was not a Buffettized song. The names of the original cities, like all the cities are references to Buffett's previous homes. The first version of the song was just different cities. It was a more universal song. My, my brain's exploding. <laughs> but Jimmy my put that. My brain's exploding. Yeah. But Jimmy put his little spin on it and made it, uh, you know, a more personal song to him. And uh, yeah, wow. maybe Matt I will put those demos. I would love to the original lyrics. I would love to get those original lyrics. See, I've got to update the book now. You see what you did there? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. Scott Outwell, thank you so much. It's a great pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's enjoy this one for Jimmy Buffett. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song, courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.